thank you guys and thank you, Trey, for that prayer. We do approach today a, a difficult section of Scripture. It's difficult because of the sensitivity of the topic, uh, and it's difficult because it's a uh, textually complicated uh, section. And so it's uh, hard to wade through. And I have tried this week and wrestled with this, uh, what is meant here in Ephesians chapter 5. Um, and um, it's uh, been hard, and I listen to other pastors, and they apparently don't have a clue either. And so, uh, <laughs> but really, there's so much in this, it's loaded. The topic is sexual immorality. And last week, uh, of course, I made mention of this so that those of you uh, with families uh, could prepare your family uh, and um, could make arrangements for your kids or at least uh, prepare them to be here today. If you weren't here last week and you're surprised by this, uh, we have an awesome kids church going on right now uh, and anybody here would be happy to take you down there. Um, great facility, great leadership, bunch of kids doing their thing and so if you need to do that, just uh, if you just walk up here and go out this door, somebody will be able to take you down there and show you exactly where to go. Um, but this is not going to be vulgar in any carnal sense. Uh, we're just going to follow the text of Scripture. The best approach that we can do today is to see where this text of Scripture is going. Uh, there's so much we could read into this. Uh, there, there's so many feelings and emotions about this. There are so many uh, cultural uh, taglines associated with this. That we might be tempted to, to make this about that. We're going to follow the flow of what the Holy Spirit led the Apostle Paul to write originally. And we're going to do that uh, together this morning. I want you to know as we approach this uh, that this was written, as you know, the letter to the Ephesians, uh, to the people at Ephesus and probably in surrounding churches, was written by a loving apostle uh, to a group of people uh, who needed instruction. These were Christians. This is written to believers. And so uh, keep that in mind. It's going to frame this for you as we read this together. And look with me, if you will, at Ephesians chapter 1. I want you to see before we begin what the Bible says in this very book of the Bible uh, is a Christian, how they're described uh, by Scripture. And so this is going to be a lengthy section of, of Scripture. Just, just go with me on it because it's important. The Apostle Paul is writing to these Christians. Here's what he says about them. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. These Christians, were how secure are they in Christ? They were chosen by God before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him in love. He predestined us for adoption as sons. We're sons and daughters. Is that a breakable bond? for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. I mean, what more firm foundation he has saved us, friends, according to the purpose of his will in the eternal places past. It's amazing what he did uh, for us. Uh, verse six, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved, that's Jesus. In him we have, have, 
redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace. How much forgiveness of our trespasses do we have? According to the riches of his grace. According to our ability to keep it, to be good enough, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished on us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things to him, things in heaven and things on earth. Verse 11, in him we have obtained an inheritance. The Bible writes in past tense about a future thing. How secure is our future inheritance? As if it's already done, because it is already done. In him... We have, ob- have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were what? Sealed. When you heard and believed, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it. That'll be in eternity when it's finally fully fulfilled to the praise of his glory. How secure are we in Christ? Oh, we're we're secure in Christ. What he's done for us is enough. Look at chapter two and beginning in verse one. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air. That's a uh, euphemistic expression for Satan. You're following Satan, following evil, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature, by nature, we were children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Verse four, listen. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, because we were attractive, because we were desirable, because boy, he saw something in me that I was gonna be a good, I was gonna be a good one. No, because of the great love with which he loved us even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. What is a Christian among all of this other? He or she is one who is seated in the heavenly places with Christ Jesus, irrevocable, so that the coming ages might show the immeasurable, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And so the audience here today are these people. Are are, are we who have placed saving faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. We are saved, we are sealed, and we are secure. 
And so when we read the text that we're going to go to, a page over in chapter 5, and you feel a, a twinge of what does this mean, remember, if, big if, big if, if you are in Christ, if you belong to him truly, not that you walked an aisle at some point and made an outward action, but if he has regenerated you spiritually by his grace, by his rich mercy, if that is true, then you are secure for salvation. How secure? As if it's already been done, because it has been. And so Ephesians chapter 5 talks to us about sexual immorality. We know it does so lovingly from an apostle who cares deeply about these people and a God who cares deeply about me and you. And we know it's delivered to Christians who are saved. So verse 1 of chapter 5. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. How are we to imitate God? I mean, as, as fearful followers, as beloved children. Be imitators of God as beloved children. And walk in love. Walk in love. What kind of love? As Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. A fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Verse 3, but, you know, you get the contrast with love here. Walk in love, but don't get mixed up about love. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you. Now, this is not just a random list, sexual immorality and all impurity and, and covetousness, like they're unrelated. This is a sexual covetousness a lustfulness. Uh, this is a sexual impurity and a sexual immorality. All of these are connected here. They must not even be named among you. The NIV, I love how the NIV puts it. There must not even be a hint, not a wisp. I mean, not a whisper of sexual immorality. It must not even be named among you. Uh, believers, you must not even live in such a way to get close enough uh, that somebody might say something. It's named among them. Oh, I saw her leave his place at 3 a.m. last night. Nothing happened. It's named among you. It's named among you. I saw them in, in this setting, and it didn't seem right for him married, and, and I know she's married, and it didn't, it didn't seem right. There's no wisdom in that. There's no good judgment in that. It's named among you. Let there not even be a hint, a hint of this, the Bible says. Must not be any of this as is proper among the saints. Verse 4, let there be no filthiness or foolish talk nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead thanksgiving. Again, these are not unrelated to sexual immorality. This is not just foolishness. This is uh, crude joking and foolish talk about sexual matters. This is, this is a levity about what the Bible here is deadly serious about. What this means, that filthiness is just very coarse language about these things. That are, that are serious to God. Uh, the next word here, um, let me find it, foolish talk is low humor, grunge humor. I mean, this is um, construction site humor, if you'll forgive me. This is, this is just rough and, and coarse 
uh, humor. It's not witty. It's not clever. It's just ugly. But the last one is high humor. This is wittiness. This is a turn of phrase. In fact, the Greek word means to turn easily. Uh, It's about turning. Uh, It's it's when we take something that uh, could be innocent and uh, all of a sudden we we make it not innocent. It is wit. It is cleverness. You ever done that? I'll tell you this, when I'm preparing this message today, there are so many things I was about to say, innocent-sounding things, that in light of this topic, I had to be very careful about because of this high humor that's mentioned here. Let this not be a part, uh, the Bible says. Let there be no filthiness, no foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead, let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is, now listen, this is, This is intense. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater. uh, Stop for just a second. The sexual covetousness is the same as idolatry, the Bible says here. Uh, When we are longing for that which we do not have, which God and his wisdom has not provided for us, or he has provided, and we're longing for something else, something more, something different, when we're looking and wanting and, and, and coveting, that we're placing something else in the seat of God. It's idolatry. No one who does this, the Bible says, no one or everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Pause. Who must this be talking about? This must be talking about those outside the faith. Why? Because we've already vividly described those inside the faith, right? And they, with certainty, have an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. So this particularly in this moment in Scripture, is talking about those outside of Christ, okay? Uh, Those uh, who are characterized, if you will, who have accepted this pattern of sin permissively in their lives, okay? That's who this is. Uh, So be aware of this. In fact, it's actually stronger. For you may be sure of this. Everyone who is sexually immoral or who is covetous, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. Those who say, God doesn't care about the, who, why does God care who I sleep with? You know, those who say, boys will be boys. You know, it's just human nature, right? Those who say, well, how will we know if we're sexually compatible, if, if we don't hook up before the marriage night? And how will we, don't we need to be sure of this? I mean, people... <laughs> Uh, People say these things all the time. Empty words, empty words. Don't be deceived by empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partners with them. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of, of light is found in all that is good and right and true, and try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord, not what pleases you, not your desires and your appetites and 
your identity and your orientation and, and, and your preference. Try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them or reveal them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things they do in secret. What do God's people need to know about sexual immorality? There are three lessons I want us to see today. The first is this. Don't be unclear about love. Don't be unclear about love. Sexual immorality and love do not have the connection that the culture, the ancient culture, or the modern culture would like us to believe. Confusion abounds about this. They had to deal with something called love feasts, which were basically sexual parties and everything went, if you can imagine this. But it had the word love on it. Uh, Today, we use the term to make love, right? Uh, we, 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 we conflate love and sex very easily. And in the right sense, in the God-given sense, wow, what a partnership there is there. But in, in the, the wrong sense, these do not go together. Somebody might apply pressure in a relationship and say, don't you love me, right? Love. It gets in the, it gets in the mix here falsely. Well, after all, Pastor Matthew, we are in We are in love. What's the problem? Love is love. Love wins, right? You see that in this text here too. The Bible starts out telling us, yes, walk in love, but no sexual immorality here. The love here is the love of the Lord Jesus Christ, a, a, a Savior who loved us and gave himself up for us. There are separate origins here. Love is self-emptying. Do you see that? Love is self-giving. Sexual immorality is self-insisting. It's self-serving. These are, I mean, they're diametrically different from one another. I was in bed the other night, and actually this was a while ago, and one of my little ones came in and said, Dad, can I cuddle with you? And I said, sure. And uh, it's, oh, I just love you. You're the greatest dad. And I was like, man, this is special, you know. Won't have this for much longer. They're getting older, and, and they're being so sweet. He said, will you buy me some Robux? Um, <laughs> Robux are on a video game. It's this little money on a video game from Roblox. And uh, you got to buy it with real money, though. And I thought, aha, I see. I see where this is going. Uh, Dad, I love you. Will you, right? You've been there before. Don't get these two things mixed up. Love, the only, the only Christian sense of love is a self-emptying love. It's an open-handedness, a giving of yourself, even the things that you ought to have, even the things that are rightfully yours, that you do deserve are we, we, the floodgates come open in the love of Christ because that's what he did for us. Everything he ought to have and by right deserve to hold on to, he gave to you and me. We're supposed to love after the love of Christ. That's why it starts this way. Yes, love each other, but don't think that sexual immorality is a part of this. This, this sexual immorality, it pursues what it wants. It is greedy. It wants my needs and my desires and my pleasures. It wants all that on my timeline 
when I say so, not so with the love of Christ. Reason number one, that sexual immorality does not belong in the life of God's redeemed is because it is antithetical to the love of Christ and absolutely so. It is. It is antithetical to the love of Christ. It serves self when Jesus sacrificed self. It is demanding instead of divesting. It robs rather than restores. And you cannot rightly reflect the love of Christ and indulge in sexual immorality. One excludes the other. That's how it is. Okay? Don't be unclear about love. God owns love. But secondly, don't be unsure about holiness. Don't be unsure about holiness. If you're a Christian and you're tempted to draw blurry lines around this issue, uh, to soften the voice of God about this matter in your life, in your church, to somehow blend purity and worldliness, if that's your temptation this morning, remember these two verses and how strongly that the, the Bible puts this. Sexual immorality and all impurity all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you, not even a hint. It's not proper for the saints. Let there be no filthiness, not even filthiness. No, don't even talk about it. Don't even be silly about it. They're out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. We love to go to Florida. We love to go on those back roads and those back um, small little towns, and, but you got to be careful, don't you? Somebody's waiting in those small towns. You know who they are, right? Uh, it's the police. And they know you're wanting to get to Florida bad. And in, in some towns, you'll see that the speed limit sign is hidden by a tree or something. They don't want you to know the speed limit is four through that town, right? <laughs> so they can get you. But what scares me even more are when the speed limit signs are gigantic. I mean, I've got a picture of one. This doesn't even do it justice, but see that man standing there? That sign is as tall as he is or more. I mean, it's a gigantic sign. I guess if your speed limit is 80, you need a gigantic sign. I mean, I would love to find a sign like that somewhere. <laughs> I would obey it at least. Uh, and so <clears throat> there's a giant sign. That, oh, this is giant. You don't miss it. If you're a Christian and you're tempted to say, well, well, does God, well, but they, but they, yeah. Uh, don't, this, this should solve that temptation for you, at least if you believe in the authority of Scripture. Now, you can still wander down that road, but you will not be being faithful to Scripture. And I want you to know that this morning. Don't be unsure about holiness. We see this by what's included here, sexual immorality. The word is porneia. Uh, it includes all types of sexual contact uh, outside of the marriage bond. It includes adultery. Uh, it includes uh, fornication, if you will. Fornication just means um, sexual contact where there is no marriage bond. Adultery is sexual contact where there is a marriage bond, but the contact is outside of the marriage bond. It includes uh, so many other things that the Bible lists very specifically and is very clear about. Sexual immorality, porneia, uh, it all, it's all inclusive. But if that wasn't enough, all impurity. I mean, if, you, if, if there's room to give on sexual immorality, all impurity. Well, is this sexual immorality? 
if it's, you know, if it's this or if it's that or if it's, you know, you know, it's not all the way. You get it. I mean, all impurity, okay? It describes everything. And then if it gets right down to even the attitude here. Not even a heart of covetousness. Not even a heart of lustfulness, of, of, of wanting, of desiring. That's where thanksgiving, by the way, comes into this uh, verse of Scripture. They're, they're opposing things. The heart of covetous says, covetous, covetousness says, I want more. I deserve more. Ooh, look at that. Oh, that, that ought to be mine. We fixate on what we do not have, longing for what uh, is not in our life. Thanksgiving looks at what we do have and says, oh, God, I don't deserve this. Oh, God, I, I'm so thankful for how you've lavished me with blessings. They're, they're, they're opposite. The heart of the Christian is a thankful one. And when thankfulness sets up residence in your house, there is little room for covetousness, for lustfulness, lustfulness after other people's cars or houses or jobs or wives or any, any of this. It's, it's just, it's there. We see it by what's included. We see it by how it's prohibited. Not even named, not even a hint. It's shameful even to speak of these things. We see it in where the boundaries are. The boundaries aren't way right up there at the, at the line. The boundaries are way back here. Don't even turn a clever phrase about these things. That's for them on whom the wrath of God is coming. The sons of disobedience, not one who has been disobedient. Uh, they, are, they are the offspring of disobedience. They belong to the household of disobedience. This is by what they are characterized. This describes their destiny. That's why they're hellbound. Are God's redeemed? Can we be joking about this? Hey, oh man, did you hear what he said? No. Don't be unsure about holiness. It is not enough for the church and for those who make her up to be a few steps behind the world on this issue, a few shades purer than the culture, a little, a little more holy than sinners. In the counsel of God's wisdom and from a heart of saving love for our great good and for his great glory, God has set a standard of purity for his people. We don't get to change that. That's what's in the word of God here. No mixture of it, no mixture of it. But lastly, don't be uninformed about the stakes. Don't be uninformed about what's at stake here. This is hard to follow and it's long, but verses five through seven on the next screen will be there for you. You might want to look at them in your Bible. It's not very clear, I don't think, but <clears throat> look at them in your Bible, verses five through seven. There's an argument building here that is coherent, uh, but it's hard to cipher. Here's, let me just paint it out for you. At this point, the Bible maintains a clear distinction between this Christian audience and those outside of Christ. Keep that in mind. There's still a clear distinction here. Read this text with me. Uh, we'll just go through it. Everyone who is sexually immoral or who is impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Those are not those inside the faith. Let no one deceive you with empty words because of these things. The wrath of God is coming upon whom? The sons of disobedience. That does not describe those inside the faith. Therefore, do not become partners with them. Don't join up with them in their endeavors. 
For at one time you were darkness, but now you are, are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but expose them, expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things they do in secret. The second thing I want you to see here is this. The reality is that people, lots of them, lots of them, are outside the blood of Christ and headed for a sinner's hell because of guilty unrepentance. That's who's being described here. They are still not in the darkness, if you read this. They are still the darkness. They have not become the light yet. That's what's being painted here. They are in need of the light of Christ. And the third thing, if those who are now light in the Lord refuse to shed forth the fruit of light, described here, the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. If those who are indeed now light refuse to live in a way that we shed forth the fruit of life, then those who are darkness may never have revealed to them, exposed to them their need for repentance and salvation. They will stay darkness because nobody bothered to live as the light to expose that darkness. That's what's happening here, I was out on the parking lot the other day with some kids from our kids' school group, and Reese was here, my family was here, and they were, uh, had a baseball, and Reese said to this little boy, little seven-year-old guy, cute little guy, said, you want to throw, play catch with my dad and me? And the boy looked over at me and said, that's your dad? And uh, <clears throat> Reese said, yeah, that's my dad. He said, is he old, you know? <laughs> and Reese said, no, he's not old. And the boy, I heard all this, the boy came over to me and said, do you feel old? <clears throat> As if to say, you definitely look old. Do you feel old in there? I said, buddy, sometimes I feel pretty old. He said, my dad is not as old as you. <clears throat> I was thankful for Reese to come to my defense and to say, my dad's not old, you know. He said, he's only 46, he's only 46, right? I was thankful that somebody shed some light on that darkness, right? <laughs> Thank you, Reese, for that. Somebody's living a certain way and thinking a certain way, comfortable a certain way, really. Unaware, they're darkness. They are darkness. Because they, 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 they haven't, God has, they're not repentant. They haven't come to Christ yet. It takes somebody by living differently to show a contrast on what things could be on the eternal and generational blessings of living a holy life, of taking God at his word and believing that he is still true no matter how far the culture departs, it takes believers to live the light so that that light may sh shine on them. And some of them, by God's mercy, will say, whoa, oh God, I didn't know it. 
Oh, Lord, and they will turn to repentance. The cross of Calvary will receive them and eternal life will be their destiny. They will now be what we now are because Christians are faithful. That's the, that's the track of this argument here. In a culture drowning in sexuality and buried in lies and blinded in sin, the army of God's redeemed living in the light of his holiness is a powerful force for God to awaken the lost to repentance. What an instrument in God's hand. What a partnership with the Holy Spirit of God in his mission work throughout the globe that we are enlisted in that. It is a powerful force to awaken the lost to repentance. Are you showing that the darkness is not all there is by your life? Or are you, to use the words of Scripture, yeah, I'm a partner with them. I'm a partner with them. It's a, it's a hard question for us today. And I do wish we had more time. Someone sent me a great question this week. <clears throat> what is the penalty for a Christian who commits this sin? I'm going to answer it briefly because it's important. What is the penalty for a Christian who commits this sin? A Christian, as described in Ephesians, a true believer in Jesus Christ, someone who's changed, someone who has that inheritance and all that other, will not commit this sin, the sin of being sexually immoral. Let me find it so I get it right. The, the sin of being sexually immoral, who is sexually immoral, the sin of being impure, the sin of being covetousness, because what that implies here, and, and very accurately from Scripture, I'm not making this up, what that implies is that you have embraced that as your nature. You've said yes to that. The conviction has fallen silent. That's not a part of your life. There's no repentance there. Uh, there's no stumbling there. This is not a struggle for you. You just are sexually immoral. You just are impure. You are covetousness. A Christian will not be that because those who are described that way have no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. And so, and so, if you find yourself or if you see someone who has professed faith in Christ and they have embraced permissively a pattern of indulgent sin in their life, particularly sexual sin, there is biblical reason to question the legitimacy of that person's salvation. And most powerfully, if it's you, there's some soul searching that needs to be done. What is the penalty for a Christian who struggles with this, who falls into this and repents of it, who pleads with God, deliver me from this, God, this is my struggle, uh, who, who has committed or may commit the sin of sexual immorality, impurity, or covetousness. What is the penalty for them? Well, the penalty is the wrath of God paid to the cross of Calvary already. But if, it's a, if, if this is you, your identity, if this is who you are, then listen, friends, you've got reason to go back to the cross You've got reason to question, is my salvation legitimate? To put it simply, and I don't even know who I'm quoting here, I'm quoting somebody. They, they say this, 
if you is what you was, then you ain't. Does that make sense? <laughs> it's funny, isn't it? But it is very serious. What's the penalty for a Christian who commits this sin? That's the best answer I know to give you. And I want to be clear on that. It's very serious. And so the question today is, will you walk in the light? Will you walk in the light? The Bible couldn't be more clear. It does so lovingly with a, with a dearness in its heart toward you. Will you give everything that you are to the Lord on this? Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this good day. <clears throat> Lord, today, in these next moments, I would like to invite anyone here who needs to respond to you in any way to do so. It may be an awkward day to come to the altar, even to confess sexual sin. It may be an awkward day to come and say, Matthew, man, based on the word of God, I'm not sure about my salvation. Uh, help me, pray with me, help me with this. We're here for you. Listen, when God speaks in these areas, don't, awkwardness cannot be our stumbling block. You come to the Lord today. If today you'd like to come for church membership or um, for prayer with me, or private prayer, I open that up to you as well. Maybe there's someone here today who would come to the waters of baptism. You've seen it today, but that has evaded you. You come on and go to those waters. And maybe there's someone here today who says, I just am, not, I've never trusted Christ as my Savior. I've never been on the inside. I've never had that inheritance. I've never been sure for heaven. And you can come today. We will celebrate with you. We'll wait with you. Lord, thank you for that good promise that you've given us in Scripture. That you forgive us, Lord. You're faithful and just to forgive us. We thank you for that. Thank you for the word of God today. Thank you for trusting it to us. I pray that these hands would have handled it rightly. And I pray it will make a difference to your people. We offer this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and sing. And as we do, I invite you to respond.